Welcome to the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week we're chatting to Teresa Clark, founder of the Wellness Revolution and one of the most powerful mental health stories I've heard. Enjoy. So, Teresa Clark, welcome to the Form Guide. How are you doing today? Hi, uh, Rob. I'm doing great today. I would say I'm probably a nine out of 10 today. Nine out of 10. Fantastic. What's driving that for you? I'm just having a really good couple of weeks and I'm going away for the weekend and um, yeah, I just feel on top of my game. Fantastic. Well, nine out of 10. Brilliant. Really good to see. So as you can see, I'm a, I'm a seven today. Um, you know, pretty good form, actually. Still the long COVID ups and downs that I get, uh, I've been having this sort of killer headache for about 10 days now and it sort of comes and goes. So that's probably stopping me being an eight. But aside from that, pretty good form and, uh, you know, delighted to be uh, here chatting to you uh, today. So that, that intro on the music um, was um, Just Be Good To Me by the SOS band. That was the original. So we're, we're very familiar with the Fatboy Slim uh, version that made the charts, but that, that was the original. And I kind of wanted to play a bit more of that. But Just Be Good To Me, it's a good sentiment, isn't it? Kind of, you know, be good, kindness, self-kindness. I think we need a bit more of that. Yeah, definitely. Great track. Good choice. Thank you. So nine out of 10. Brilliant. So what would a what would a 10 out of 10 day look like for you? Oh, a 10 out of 10 day. Um, that's a really good question. I think a 10 out of 10 day probably would mean that I had a little bit more time off to do my own thing in the day, which, yeah. which isn't happening much at the moment, but I'm making sure I'm carving out time for it. Yeah. OK, so that that space, that time. Um, and what else? What are the other elements that, that would be a perfect day for you? I think just having time to do all of my practices and not feel rushed. So, you know, making sure I'm doing yoga, meditation, uh, getting outside in nature, going for a walk, um, you know, great interactions with people. That's the kind of 10 out of 10 day. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. Good to hear. So we we, we met a little while ago. Um, you are going to be on the forthcoming Inside Out leaderboard, uh, which we're going to publish in September. And, and thank you for being part of that. And, and, and your story was one of the most emotive uh, and powerful stories I've heard. And I hear a lot of privilege to hear a lot of stories on the kind of mental health journeys of people. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. And I'd be keen to hear your story here. Um, but first, the quickfire round, and you know this is nothing we can uh, we've asked you to prepare for. But I'm going to ask you a series of questions around: if mental health were a, what would it be? So, if mental health were an animal, Teresa, what would it be for you? What comes to mind? Oh, good question. If mental health was an animal, I think it would be a cat for me. Okay. Why cat? Yeah. Because. Cats are just quite difficult to understand. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly are. And, you know, they can be really great one minute and just awful the next. Um, and I think, yeah, mental health, when it really takes, when you're in real, real grips of it, it can be, it can be very volatile. It can be very unpredictable. But it, but also you can be, you know, really loving and uh, calm and, and relaxed, or you can be, um, a bit scatty and um, a little bit yeah jumpy <laughs> yeah I think that is a really good one actually um, I, I've got cats and I'm not a cat person right I'm a dog person uh, I grew up with dogs never really knew cats don't understand them still don't understand them um, 
but I, I get that they're very unpredictable. Um, you know, sometimes they'll be really, as you say, kind to you and, and affectionate, and other times they can be, you know, scratching your eyes out effectively, can't they? Yeah. Um, we just got a new, we just got a new kitten called May, and she disappeared for a day on Sunday, and I'm like, I know cats do that, but I was really sad, and um, she came back, and then I was really happy. So that sort of offset the loss of the football that actually my cat came home, my kitten came home, even though football did not come home. Um, so yeah, I like that. The mental health cat. What about a colour? If mental health were a colour, what comes to mind? Oh, colour. I think it would be, can I choose more than one colour? Can yeah, I go for a rainbow? Of course you can, yeah. Can I go for a rainbow, with, but with added a couple of kind of darker colours into yeah. the rainbow? Yeah. So I think, you know, you just go through stages. Yeah. So we, we, we have exactly that with the form score. So each score is a, is a different colour. Um, so we've got some darker reds and, and even the black at, at the low end of the scale coming through oranges, reds, greens, and then into different shades of blue for, for positive mental health. So I think colour is quite a nice way of expressing how we're feeling, actually. So, yeah, yeah rainbow it is, the mental health rainbow. I like that. So, Teresa, if mental health were a food, what's coming to mind for you? Mental health were a food. Ooh. That's a, that, that is actually quite a hard one but I think it. it I think it would probably be something where there's an like maybe like Turkish or something where there's options for having lots of different things because yeah. again you know it's such a variety you know emotions are so varied our experiences are so varied so I don't think it would be like bangers and mash I think it would be more something where you would have like a banquet <laughs> Yeah, a banquet. Yeah, a, Tur <laughs> a Turkish banquet. Yeah, Turkish yeah. banquet. Of yeah. Mental health. yeah, fantastic. Okay, so if mental health were a song or a piece of music, we were talking about music before. What what springs to mind for you? Yeah, I've been thinking about this one a lot, and I had thought of a really good one, but do you know what? I've actually forgotten it this morning, which is really irritating. But um, <laughs> I think for me, it would be some. It would be definitely be a disco track because I just disco gives me life, um, and. I think it would be, let me just think, oh, uh, something like Alicia Myers, I want to thank you. And it's just a really good feel good song. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like finding your way back to yourself to celebrate that. So yeah, that's what I choose. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I must listen to that track again. I haven't heard that for a while. It's a good, it's a very good choice, uh, Alicia Myers. Yeah. So a quick shout out to everyone on the live. Todd, five cats in your house. Good luck with that. Chaotic and perfect. <laughs> hey, Luke, good to see you. Morning, hurrah. Um, and hi, Sarah. Uh, Sarah's an eight out of 10, but is complaining about the weather because she is a Kiwi in the UK. Sarah, we've had summer. It was a brilliant week. Um, we need to be grateful for that. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> but that's, I think that, a lot. <laughs> that's it. You, you've had, you've had it's all good um so if mental health teresa were a holiday destination where would it be um a holiday destination and again i just love these questions they're so great um i think it would be india because again i think you've got like the beautiful beaches of goa where it's all chilled and calm well maybe not so chilled and calm sort of, sort of parties there but you know you've got that kind of uh, sereneness in the landscape but then you go to somewhere like Delhi and it's like really chaotic and very intense so I yeah. think yeah that would be my yeah I'm with you on that actually I've traveled in India a bit and you, you, you're right you can get that very meditative solitary experience mm. you can get the chaos the smells the vibrancy cows walking down the middle of the road um, and, and you know great food great great textures um, so the variety, I love that. So India. Yeah, fabulous. everything is very alive, isn't it? It's alive, yeah, mm. absolutely. So final one, if mental health were a sound? 
What sound would it be? I think it would be the gong. I love I love the gong anyway, yeah. but I think the gong, you know, it can play so many sort of different variations of tunes and sort of really guide your experience. You that's it can get a bit dark and almost I don't know if you've heard that sort of scrapey sound, which sounds a bit like a whale noise, which yeah. is kind of strange when that happens. Or and then it can be, you know, really serene and and very kind of in you know, very inward and soft. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant, the gong. Have you done um, kind of gong baths or sound baths? Uh, loads, yeah, I, love, I absolutely love them. They're brilliant, aren't they? And, and yeah. for, for me, I, I think um, I, I've got on quite well with meditation. I can get there, but the gong just seems to send you into a meditative mm. state you know, with very little effort on your behalf or one's behalf. Um, and I just love that, the, just that complete deep relaxation. Yeah. Um, so we've... Um, We've used the gong, so um, there's a business called Gong, funnily enough, uh, run by um, a good friend of mine called Selma, um, and we were just due to host the Inside Out Awards, Mental Health Awards, before lockdown, and we'd got uh, planned to have the big gong on stage, and that was how we were going to kick it all off, so ne next year we will be there with the big gong, so yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, morning, Stuart, great to see Luke, 10 out of 10, fantastic. So I'm going to try and put all this together. So you and I, we're in India. Um, we, um, for some reason, we're not eating Indian food being in India, but we've got a, <laughs> a huge Turkish banquet, lots of different things that we're going to sort of tap into. Um, in the background, we're listening to, remind me of the your song choice. Alicia Myers, I want to thank you. Alicia Myers, that's playing in the, in the background. You know, over in the distance, we can hear the the sound of the gong as well and it's quite relaxing um and, and being in india we just see this rainbow of color everywhere and um you know we're surrounded by kind of cats in various different states of affection <laughs> in fact it's probably luke's cats actually <laughs> i've forgotten about the cat <laughs> yeah <laughs> trying to work it in you know i mean i've had whales in the desert with these i've you know, i've had you know hippos in in the english countryside so it, it's all good it's in my imagination um so we've got all these cats with varying degrees of expression of emotion um but you know we're feeling a level of serenity um and enjoying you know just shooting the breeze in this amazing setting so so that's my image for you based on your, your quick fire round. Um, Sounds great. Should we go now? <laughs> let's do it. Let's get there. Absolutely. So what are you reading right now? I'm reading quite a few things, actually. I don't like to kind of read one thing at a time. So I'm reading a book about the top speeches the world has ever seen. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book about, I'm trying to remember all of them. I'm reading um, the book Women Run With Walls. I, I don't know if that's okay. the right um title but it's by Clarissa somebody so I'm reading that and I'm also reading some books about like employee experience and um creativity brilliant okay and, and you've talked about creativity before it's it's um important aspect of well-being isn't it hugely important and I think for me over my own personal journey and then um the work that I've done over the last kind of decade has really kind of shown me the power of creativity and I'm sure we'll probably go into that a bit bit later um further on but it you know it helps us to develop parts of our brain which make us more resilient to stress it also you know encourages us to have fun and play and you know connect more with our inner self and I feel like if we're not if we don't have the kind of channel to be creative that can really impact on our well-being because we we need to express ourselves in whatever way that may you know shape that may take yeah 
Yeah, I think that's right. I was um, in, in a couple of episodes ago. I interviewed and had a chat with Emma Stroud, who um, is the founder. She's a comedian. Uh, she's a clown, but she's also the you know she works with organisations on injecting more play into them. And we were talking about um, creativity. And John Cleese talks about a famous study done on architects where. Um, they worked out the, the difference between the most creative architects and, and non-creative architects. The more creative ones had more play in their life. Um, so that having fun and the link to creativity is also a link to uh, you know, how we're performing in production. So That's it. And it fair. works on so many levels because, you know, it, it makes you close to your team members. You're more of your authentic self because, you, the, you know, the parts of you that shut down that... Um, help you to conform to things maybe you don't want to so it, it's just it just works on so many levels yeah. very powerful yeah absolutely so you, you allude to your journey let's let's talk about that and um i, I remember receiving your um uh, sort of application for, for the for the leaderboard your nomination and just read i'm just i've got that in front of me now and i'm not going to read it out but it was such a powerful um couple of paragraphs you sent to me um, tell us your story, if you don't mind, Teresa. Tell us the journey that you've been on and, and how it all started. Yeah, um, sure. So 15 years ago, um, on the 21st of August 2006, my life um, was shattered into a million pieces when after a day out at a festival, I was driving home and I fell asleep at the wheel, resulting in the tragic deaths of three of my friends. Um, I was also very, very severely injured. In fact, I nearly died, I think, sort of six times over the four days that followed in hospital. Um, and I nearly lost both of my legs. I was impaled by a fence post, which went right through my groin um, in my right leg and out of my bottom and actually sort of holding me in the car. And then one in my other leg. And they thought that I would lose both of my legs. And then they thought that I would lose one of my legs. You know, it's a complete miracle that I'm actually... a alive and walking today I also had sort of quite a lot of other injuries to do with my arms and things but you know the injuries were nothing compared to the psychological and you know the guilt and the grief and the the pain that I felt for for what had happened I spent four months in hospital and I I knew straight away that that I would go to prison um, and I really I wanted to with every part of my being to be honest with you Bob I just you know the that all the things that I was going through was kind of nothing I needed to feel like I had a tangible punishment and you know for the for the families and, and even I know it kind of probably sounds quite weird but even for my own family for what I put them through and so that process was quite a long process because I was so poorly as well so I didn't actually go the accident happened in the August and I didn't actually go give my first statement to the police till the December um, and I pled guilty and then then the process you go to magistrates court and then crown court and so on the 11th of September 2007 I was sentenced to four years um, for causing death by dangerous driving and um, went to Holloway prison where I spent four months there and then I was transferred to HMP Downview in Surrey where I've served the rest of my sentence um, and I served two years in prison and two years back in the community on probation um, and there's just you know obviously so many things that happened within that time you know I was so broken in body mind and spirit that I, 
never thought it would be possible to put myself back together again and if somebody would have told me that I'd be sat in front of you today having founded my own business and be feeling the way that I do I, I really would never have believed them so I share my story really now with other people to you know show hope and to to show that no matter what happens to you you have the power to transform your life and you know there's lots of kind of levels to that but we we have so much sort of power within us and and by really kind of going in and listening to our emotions and ourselves we can really uncover so much and you know that journey is not linear by any stretch of the imagination and you know I've spent many years you know having very dark days you know feeling suicidal every day but I I just I made a promise to my friends when I was in hospital and I woke up and I was just like whatever happens from here on in I make you a promise that I'll I'll live my life you know at least for for you for them in the beginning because I just didn't want to you know waste my life I've been given a second chance and even though I didn't really feel like I deserved the second chance I'd got it anyway and I, I just out of honor and respect to them I really wanted to sort of do everything I could to make something good happen out of something so bad yeah um wow I mean this this, the the fact that you are a a message of hope is a a credit to you and I'm I'm fortunate enough to hear a lot of stories um and and some of the strength that people find um at times of utter darkness uh, amazes me um and I'm keen to explore how you found that in a second but tell me what your life was like before that 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 tragedy happened yeah, so before that, I was 27 years old. Um, and if I'm really honest with you, I, I haven't really shared this with anybody before, but I'm going to share it with you because I feel like it's really, well, it is a very important part of my journey. Um, I was 27. I actually wasn't that happy, to be mm. fair. Um, I was working, I'd, I'd finished university, I did uh, got a degree in fashion for textiles, and I'd had to just get a proper job. And I loved where I worked. Dial Flight was this, an incredible company. Um, and I made some incredible friendships. And it, and it wasn't really like work. It was a bit kind of like being at uni. But yeah. I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. But also, at the same time, I'd actually fallen in love with one of my closest friends, who was a woman. And I was really, really struggling with it. And I hadn't told anybody. I was really in denial. Uh, also um, was kind of developing feelings for one of my friends that died in the accident who was a guy and I was just so confused and I just got this new job that I was about to start and I kind of felt like I was on the precipice of real change in my life but I didn't really kind of know which way it was going to go and to be honest with you I really didn't want to be gay <laughs> I fought against it and that was one of the other things when I woke up after you know about a week of kind of coming to terms with everything I I remember sort of saying to myself okay well you can't be gay now you're just going to have to put that in the box and shut the lid because if you tell your mum and dad you're gay when you're going to finish them off you know (laughs) so I kind of went that suppressed that and that came back up later which I'm sure we'll probably explore when we go through kind of my journey in a bit more detail yeah yeah um I mean it, it just it just you know strikes me you never you never know what's around the corner and you know you were undergoing a period of change and then you know change in the most extreme way um came came your way so i'm interested that yeah 
that 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 strong desire you had to um, serve your time to atone for what you did, mm-hmm. just just talk talk us through that that feeling a little bit because um, did you feel that that was I mean I guess you were thinking a load of things at the time but looking back on it with the benefit of perspective, do you feel that that helped you with your journey to actually kind of you know serve your time serve your punishment for it? Yeah, one hundred percent. It it helped in so many ways I think not necessarily just help but it really helped me to come to terms with what had happened I think that year before I went to prison I knew I had to get better in psychologically physically and emotionally to to help my parents and my friends and my family get through it too because they obviously they were just incredible but I knew that when I went it would be very very difficult for them so if I could show them that it was, you know, I could cope with it and that, you know, even though I was very, very broken inside, I, I sort of still had this kind of ability to see hope, to be honest with you. And, you know, I really wanted to go. I wasn't sure what it would be like. You know, I was very scared about it. Of course, you would be. Um, I think I was even more scared about it because of my sexuality, too, to be honest with you. Yeah. I watched a bit too much like Prisoner Cell Block H when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was just really, really um, sorry. Can you repeat the question again? I've just forgotten. Yeah, it, it was uh, around, you know, looking back with hindsight, do you feel that actually serving your time was part of your journey of recovery Huge. and it was important to do so? Huge. And one of the main reasons for that, to be honest with you, Rob, was just finding my enabling me a way to turn my pain into my purpose. So when I was in prison, I applied to be a listener for the Samaritans. And um, to be honest with you, I don't quite know how they actually accepted me, because when I look back then, I was in, you know, as just as much crisis as the women that I was getting called out to see. I was very, very unwell. I was very unhappy, um, but I managed to be able to get through the the, the training, and also when I was um, going out, because obviously in prison is very different from being a Samaritan on the outside. So when you're a Samaritan on the outside, you take a call, you don't see the person. It's all um, you know very separated. But in prison, they come and knock on your cell and whatever time of the night that is, if you're on duty and they call you out and they take you actually down to the the other woman's cell and they lock you in there with them. So it's a very, very different um, sort of setup. And also it's, you know, people, there's so much self-harm in prison. I, I've never, I'd never experienced it before and I didn't really understand, you know, what it was and why. And then I just, you know, I was so overwhelmed by you know these women's pain and but up but but I could feel it you know it was before you could I could feel it but this was I could feel it in 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 such a different way and I could understand it in such a different way and I guess I knew from my own experience kind of the way to help somebody um explore that because obviously you can't tell somebody not to do something but you can you can help them explore um other alternatives maybe and just other ways of thinking because when you're in that place where you don't have any hope left and you can't see a way out you know it's awful and you know imagine in prison it's times a million because you can't see a way out because you're there and you know your life has led you there and you know maybe you don't even have contact with your friends and family you know so many women in prison um 
have had some awful, awful experiences. And to be honest, they shouldn't even be in prison in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of issues there, isn't there? And, and is there a, you know, we talk a lot about the stigma of mental ill health in, in society. Is, is that stigma rife in, in the prison system? So uh, uh, do people feel um, that they have to p portray an image to be tough, to be strong generally, or are people more open? Um, how did you find that where mental ill health is concerned? It's mm, a really good question. I think, you, I think you just have very different sort of feel or schools of thought there. You know, you have some people that that's the way they cope that they you know they put up a, a a real sort of facade and you know then they're kind of maybe overconfident or a bit self-righteous or what whatever it is you know there's that sort of barrier up to letting people really see inside how they're feeling um you know there's also an element of protection in there too because you know prison isn't a safe place you know it's it's not there's lots of things going on and there's a lot of vulnerable women in there and there's also some women in there that may take advantage of you for being vulnerable so I think yeah it's um very interesting very guarded I would say and a lot of stuff goes on behind closed doors so that's why services like the Samaritans are so important because you know there isn't actually you know I don't know what it's like now and I did work in that kind of field for a while but it, obviously it's been a long time and you know I was um, um, discharged from prison in 2009 but when I was there there was not a great deal of, of uh, mental health support for women so you have to rely on um, you know charitable organizations like the Samaritans like um, Cruise bereavement counseling mm -hmm. services you know the inreach teams are very small they're under so much pressure that they, they they don't have capacity to see all the people that they need to see and unless you've got a very sort of um chronic condition like schizophrenia you're you don't get a look in now think of the women in prison every single woman that's in prison has experienced i would say quite deep levels of trauma and so access to mental health services proper mental health services should be of standard because mm. how can we kind of rehabilitate people if we aren't you know saying to them hey you know what's happened to you like tell me your story and then once we kind of know those things we can really help people yeah. because that that you know young woman she's been abused as a child she's been you know put into a gang like all those things it's it's really heartbreaking, but it really helped me to, it was a catalyst for me to say, okay, right, I'm, I can do something here. I can use my experiences. I can, I can really understand how these women are feeling and I can, you know, I can do my bit. I can help somewhere. And, and that was kind of the catalyst for me then going into a career in mental health. I started to volunteer for a charity when I was on my release on temporary license, because when you get to a certain level of your, um, your sentence you're allowed to go out into the community with obviously the governor's permission and work um, so volunteering and I first started off volunteering for this beautiful um, special needs day centre in Banstead and, and it was just you know being in service to others like so selflessly is you know it was such a huge part of my recovery and it really gave me purpose and even though I hated myself and thought that 
you know, I couldn't have a conversation because I, I, I sort of felt like a bit of an empty vessel, to be honest with you. I was yeah. so numb. I was on so much medication. I was so disassociated with how I was feeling because also in prison, I couldn't really allow myself to go to those places because yeah. I didn't I didn't have my support there. You know, I had people wrote me letters. I mean, letter writing was a lifeline. Um, you know, my friends and family wrote me so many letters and I wrote them letters and you know, and I found creativity again. I connected back to my love yeah. of painting and I painted cards and I wrote poetry and I, I got my, my friends in prison into poetry and we used to have like poetry days where we'd like read poems out of this book and, you know, we're just, that was the way we had fun and that was yeah. the way that we gelled and we supported each other. And, you know, I think you ha in some situations as well, you have no choice but to laugh or cry. and. You know, if you can laugh more than you can cry, you can really support yourself and the other people around you to get through some pretty shitty times. Who's my friend? Yeah. No, go for it. Um, amazing. And again, there's lots I want to sort of explore with you. Um, so you, you you mentioned, you know, you couldn't go through the sort of deep work of recovery until you'd got your support around you. So was the time actually in prison? I mean, it sounds like you were you were coping. You were doing things to, to to in the service of others, and that must have been pretty amazing. But was that sort of you were just sort of getting through that as best you could, and then your recovery started a bit later? Is that how the it kind of worked for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think when I look back now, and it was quite interesting actually. I've been asked to write a piece, and I've been sort of really kind of going through my journey on a on a on a different level than I've ever kind of explored it before, and I think what I realized was there was very different levels to my healing journey. So there was kind of the, the period before I went to prison, which was a year and, you know, lots of healing happened there. And then kind of when I went to prison, I um, sort of resilient thinking. And again, when I look back now, I think, yeah, that was really, I knew, right. Okay. I've got this year before I'm going to go to prison. This is what I need to, these, this is what I'm focusing on. And then when I was in prison, I knew that you know whatever sentence I got that was my focus but I didn't really think what would happen beyond that and I think you have to I don't know if you've ever read Viktor Frankl's book Man's Search for Meaning but I can really really relate to his his experiences and the way he kind of talks about finding meaning so there was a level of that in prison but I think I was only able to to explore my healing from a certain level because the level of consciousness I was at at that time you know I was very very you know, I was very, very uh, sort of, you know, grief was very, very um, prominent in my daily life experience. You know, guilt was incredibly prominent. And, and I was, I, I was really kind of only able and, and, you know, the sadness that I felt, I was really only able to kind of work with those things yeah. and not really even explore the trauma. And when I went to prison, I didn't have, before I went to prison, I was having, um, trauma therapy every week that which started actually while I was in hospital um in East Grinstead plastic surgery kind of hospital unit and then when I so I'd really got used to that and it had been a you know such a lifeline without that therapy I can say that I wouldn't be here today definitely yeah. not so when I went to prison that went I didn't have any therapy and I just had to use every ounce of strength and resilience I had to just get through that period yeah. and then when I came home from prison that was actually the hardest time for me I I, I went through a very dark couple of years mm. where 
my work I became an absolute workaholic um and my work was what actually got me through because my boss um I started volunteering for this amazing charity called Certitude everybody looked them up they're incredible um and they um support people with mental health and with learning disabilities and they were running a project called Beyond Prison so I volunteered for them and my boss said when I was going to get released I didn't really know what I wanted to do I didn't particularly want to work because I felt like I just needed to go home and adjust and I hadn't like I say thought about what life would be like afterwards so I um there was a lot of trepidation really about where I would fit in and you know how would it be because I changed changed so much as well and then um my boss Fabio he saw something in me and he they just won some um, funding to run a service called an intensive support service which was working with all the main London prisons and they wanted somebody to be the link between the in-reach teams and the outside so we used to run a 48-hour intervention where I'd meet people at the gate make sure that they had um, you know a referral to the in-reach to to mental health services in the community they needed medications take them to housing all that sort of thing so Fabio was like I really think you should go for this job and I was like I just don't even think you know I had such little self-belief back then as well he was like no do it so I I kind of thought okay I'll I'll do it and you know I'm so grateful to Fabio for the really important role that he played in my journey and believing in me when I didn't believe in myself because you know that job was my anchor if I hadn't have had that job I, I don't know what would happen to me right now, to be honest with you, but that yeah. gave me my anchor. And, you know, I, I couldn't show up for myself, really. It was a real struggle, but I could show up for all the people that I was helping. And that gave me such passion and drive. And it gave me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And it yeah. gave me a reason to put my stuff to one side and, you know, put one foot in front of the other. And that's kind of, and that was really the, the sort of holding place that, for me to then start to look at myself because I kind of got back into um what was I got back into but I was using a lot of things to avoid how I felt work you know there was so many addictions and unhealthing or we call them in mental health speak maladaptive coping strategies that I had back then which um I was just kind of like living for the weekend I didn't want to you know, I was going through my work, but in my, in my private life, I had such bad social anxiety, like my PTSD was through the roof. I was having kind of flashbacks and nightmares all the time, you know, to have a conversation with you, I I wouldn't have been able to look you in the eye because I was just feeling so paranoid and sketchy. And I was very unwell, put it that way. (laughs) And, and, Obviously, from then to now, a complete transformation. Um, you're definitely looking me in the eye, by the way, um, which, <laughs> which is cool. Um, have you forgiven yourself? Does, or does that, you know, have, have you allowed yourself in the work that you've done to kind of forgive yourself? Or is that an ongoing work in progress? I think it's always an ongoing work in progress, but definitely. I mean, the last 15 years, I've spent repiecing myself back together to transform my life and you know, that journey has taken me through many like enriching therapies and modalities and philosophies. And, you know, I've really explored what it means to be me and, you know, where all my pain is lying. And I've found safe ways to express myself. And I have found safe ways to feel that pain and and acknowledge it and, and understand its importance in my life and how it drives me forward to do the things I'm doing now. 
Um, I've learned to love myself again. I've learned to forgive myself. I've learned to, and the biggest thing is I've learned to practice self-compassion because yeah. I think I thought maybe I loved myself or, or again, you know, that linear, a non-linear squiggly line of progress. I've thought maybe at times I did, but then my behaviors were incongruent with, you know, self-love or, yeah. you know, self-forgiveness. So I think there's so many kind of layers. I kind of look at myself as like an onion and, and there's always layers that are going to come off. There's always kind of levels that you reach and you think something will trigger something and it's time to go back and do some more work. And I think, you know, we are, we're, we're never finished, are we? We're imperfect in, in our imperfection. We're perfect, yeah. sorry, in our imperfection. Yeah. And I think I'm just so curious now and open to explore my well-being holistically on every level and, and note it. And I think, you know, being one of the things that I found was really important for me on my journey was actually facing myself with courage and truth and actually calling myself out because there was a lot of times when I had to go, you know, I'm not going in the way that I want to go. I'm not happy with who I'm becoming and I need to sort my shit out basically. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what does that mean? And that means getting really real and, you know, holding myself responsible, holding myself accountable for, for all the, the patterns that were appearing in my life and, you know, the, the way I felt. And I think for a long time, I was just surviving. And, and I thought, again, you know, I'd made that I remembered this promise I'd made to my friends, and I'd said to them, you know, I promise I'm going to live for you. And surviving isn't living, you know, surviving. Yeah, surviving is accepting mediocrity. And I wasn't prepared to do that for them. And then that's when I kind of took things up another notch, because I think, like I was just saying to you before about the different levels of consciousness, I think I'd my healing had taken me through different levels and I was able to see things differently. And yeah. I was empowered to make these really positive. And, and I, I guess I knew through having this journey, the, the foundations that I needed to support my own flourishing and then how yeah. I could apply my learnings to helping others flourish. And that yeah. is what I'm really passionate about. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think you've, You've touched on a lot of stuff that's that's firmly ingrained in my philosophy, and and I think that many many people can benefit from is that we're, uh, our well being is always moving, our mental health is always moving. It's not fixed like our physical health, like our fitness. Mm. Um, it's not binary. It's not black and white. It is this beautiful explosion of color um, and vibrancy and complexity. And actually, if we want to thrive for as much of the time as we can, we've got to put a bit of work in. We've got to put a bit of effort in. We've got to put a bit of thought in, a bit of building self-awareness, time for reflection, which is at the heart of what Form Score is all about. It's, it's sort of gifting people that, that mo those moments of self-reflection. Um, the, other, the other bit that really resonated for me, and um, it, it's you, your, your purpose is ingrained in that promise you made to your friends, right? Um, and that and it is flown from there and I don't want this to sound kind of flippant it's genuine um, I think your friends would be really proud of you and what you're achieving and what you have achieved right now um, because um, from a, a an extraordinarily difficult set of circumstances and and then the aftermath of that you're now have dedicated your life to improving the mental health and well-being of others and, and many people in need so that is a credit to you and it is a genuine story of hope because 
you know, I can't imagine being in that place that you're in, and I don't think you could have imagined it 24 hours before it happened, right? Um, many of us can't, and the way you've handled the aftermath, um, and none of it's going to be perfect, is a credit to you. So I think they would be proud. Um, oh, thank you, Rob. That's really, really touching. Thank no, you. no, uh, absolutely. So tell me what you're doing now. So um, the Wellness Revolution, it's uh, you know, your uh, organisation that you founded that, that again is on, on the mission. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, so the Wellness Revolution was birthed when I was working for the NHS. Um, I was working for a secure unit um, running lots of things, but doing user involvement and recovery college stuff. And I started to, when I first got that job, I was so excited about it and it's sort of senior level of management and when I went in there I kind of started I knew that we had a massive turnaround with the staff um, in our department and I, I, I thought the nature of the work is pretty tough so it, I thought initially it was to do that but actually what I found when I went in there that, that actually you know that was some that was definitely a factor but actually what the factor was was that we weren't looking after our staff's well-being and that kind of really shocked me because I thought wow I work for a mental health trust you know a big mental health trust and we're not even looking after our own staff's well-being and I can see the impact that it's actually having on patient care mm -hmm. so I started to sort of think wow if this is happening in you know the NHS then what is going on in the real world and then I started to kind of look around me at friends at colleagues acquaintances and just sort of started to I guess you know having my own journey sort of seeing parts of me and other people and you know we're all struggling you know the universal struggles of mental health and well-being and how it impacts our potential and really for me the wellness revolution is like a human potential consultancy in lots of ways it's understanding you know just like the greats like Maslow and um, Carl Rogers of, of humanistic psychology you know knew it back in the 60s and 70s yep. of, of the foundations that we need to 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 reach that point of flourishing I started to really like contemplate that and I was like you know that's what the world needs you know we need more organizations that are going out into the world and actually going into um, organizations and helping people to under you know we've got this amazing apparatus like up here you know our minds and bodies are incredible and yet we don't really know how to use them and we also you know again we're talking about the levels of consciousness thing when you're in a place where your life isn't as good as it could be and you don't feel great and you haven't got much energy and your net your your thoughts are kind of more on the negative side and you just don't, you know, that's your experience and you're just around, you know, that's been my experience for a long time. But recognising, you know, how we could be educated, like how we can be shown practical tools and, and, and you know, theories and, and actual, you know, activities that can really boost our well-being on so many levels. And, you know, mental health is, is, is the pandemic of the modern day, isn't it? And if we don't do something you know, now, if we don't start to change the way that we look at well-being and mental health, I don't even like using the word mental health, to be honest, because there's so much stigma mm. that's, you know, around that word. And also we're separating it from the whole, you know, holistic well-being is mind, body and soul. Mm. Maybe some people don't want to go to the soul part, but the soul part is crucial because if we don't, you know, I'm sure there's many people right now having a bit of an existential crisis after you know, the last 12 years spent in lockdown, all the things that we think we're going to make us happy, money, our job, and material things, 
they really don't and so it's about coming back to what does and the wellness revolution you know our mission is to get organizations to lead with purpose by putting well-being and human experience at the heart of everything they do because we believe that the workplace can be a huge powerful catalyst for transformation and that through supporting people to live healthier um, and happier lives at work we can create healthier and happy societies so that's right on the money it's exactly you know what you believe in and I think you know when we all join up there's so many of us now when we all join up we're just showing you know business particularly there's another way and I can't I don't think we can rely on the government to change things I think business has to become more of a model of conscious capitalism and we have to think about our impact that we're having on our employees but our impact we're having on our communities and the world at large and that's when we're going to see real change yeah 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 um yeah i'm uh, i'm with you on that what i love about the, the kind of wellness industry is the lo- there's a lot of us kind of on the same mission but we're we're kind of friendly collaborators and, yeah, and you know, allies in the market which yeah. is which is great to see and yeah i i think you're right i think the workplace has the opportunity to catalyze positive change mm. um certainly bigger business have the budget to do so um but i think all businesses the educational bit is actually if if you really want to create a workplace culture that is happy, healthier, and, and high performing, well-being does have to be at the centre of that. It has to be at the heart of it, alongside other you know, strategic goals. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, Stephanie uh, Stephanie Robertson from I think Duke University over in the, the US uh, Business School um, would would agree. Instilling our students and businesses are going to be the ones that can move the needle. And sorry to hear that you're a four out of ten, Stephanie. I'm keen to catch up with you something on something that hopefully will boost your form. So I'm going to drop you a note. Um, amazing. Um, I, uh, I'm blown away by your story. Um, I really am, uh, Teresa, and thank you for sharing it here publicly. Um, you know, for me, it, it is a story of hope, um, and it's a story of hope from a position of complete darkness and through you know a, a situation that that nobody would expect to find themselves in. And I think you know how you've handled that and have how you've moved that forward to where you are today is a genuine credit to you. Um, so thank you for sharing it. One, one more question. We're, we're curating a library of well-being golden nuggets, the one top tip that um, uh, our guests were prepared to share, a bit of wisdom about managing well-being. Um, what would be, I know it's difficult, you've got more than one, but what would be your one top tip, Teresa? Meditation, meditation, meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Med- meditation. And, and presumably that was, has formed a big part of your recovery and, and through your time in prison as well. Huge. Well, I wish I'd meditated when I was in prison, yeah. to be honest with you. But I tried, but I just couldn't get it. Yeah. Um, but now it is, it's a huge part of my life. I meditate for an hour a day. I also have ADHD and it's really, really helped me to manage my condition because um, yeah, it's really helped me to like downregulate my nervous system because another thing, ha- you know, that happens when you have trauma on the level that I experience trauma, particularly too, is that your nervous system is constantly in fight and flight response. So even though you don't realize it, it's there. And a meditation really helps me to kind of bring that down to a really healthy balance level which I didn't ever think would be possible to be honest with you. Yeah. And just even things like, I'd be, it was quite embarrassing to be honest with you. I'd be out down the road or something, you know, just walking down the high street and 
either a siren would come on or someone would slam a car door and I'd nearly like fall onto the pavement because it was like triggering me so it really really helped me to yeah just get some uh, balance yeah brilliant so meditation meditation and uh, meditation so (laughs) thank you for sharing that thank you for being a guest this is the form guide inspiring conversations about our mental health and well-being and next up we've got avril chester who runs uh, a uh, charity called cancer central and so delighted to look at some of the intersections between mental health and physical health and the fantastic work that that april does but Teresa, from me thank you so much thank you rob